Warning, this podcast contains adult content, including frank discussions of sex and lots and lots of swear words. Enjoy! There was a commercial for GameCube on TV when Jesse reached down Hazard's pants. Muscles flared excitedly. Hazard unfastened his jeans to make it easier. On the bedroom floor, Jesse jacked him off. Hazard consciously came for the third time in his life, and it left him shaking. His back arched up off the floor, his toes curled, and he clapped his hands over his mouth just in case he moaned as he closed his eyes and he just felt it come in waves of pleasure. <laughs> so I think you're you're done. Are you done? I'm done. <laughs> that's what happens. I'm when very you, sorry. That's what happens when you have waves of pleasure. Waves of pleasure. I think it more had, through you. I think it had more to do with the GameCube than anything else. To be perfect. That is the fucking funniest way that I think we've ever started <laughs> any of these um, sexy times. Like the GameCube commercial was on. Just FYI. We are setting the time period. (laughs) (laughs) It's important to this jerk-off scene that you know (laughs) that in the background, there's a commercial for the GameCube. So my question is, did the jerk-off last as long as the commercial for the GameCube? Oh, no. Under under no circumstances. This is like what the third time he has consciously come in his entire life. What does that mean? I do not know, because I'm assuming he's jerked himself off a couple of times and uh, got himself knows. there on who purpose. Knows. Should we do our podcast now? Let's do our podcast. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Claire. And this is FMK Lit. Where we read two romance novels. A straight one and a queer one. And then we play Fuck, Mary Kill with the characters. We sure do. Uh, lots of spoilers. All the spoilers. If you've come here just for reviews, unfortunately, you will not find them here. You will find spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. A veritable landfill of spoilers. Not yes, landfill. Yo, is a that land what it field. is? It's a landfill. No, it's, it's not a landfill. What's a field full of landmines? Minefield. Ha <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ha. Listen, <laughs> listen, I haven't been outside in three days. Okay. <laughs> Words um, are hard. I unlocked the deadbolt on my uh, front door and I was like, when did it go? Four days ago. I was like, holy fuck. That's how long it's been. That's how long it's been. Oof. You're welcome, world. Okay. You're welcome. Claire. Yes, Neil. In these troubling times, you picked books for us to read. I did. I picked what did books we read? for us to read. Well, we read Resisting the Rebel by uh, Lisa Brown Roberts and mm-hmm. Clyde by J.R. Lennick. So what was the theme? Uh, the theme was bad boys. Ooh. Like high school bad boys, specifically. Ooh. Did, you, did you have any high school bad boys that you had a crush on? Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I, was, I, was, I had a crush on every other boy that I came across. And often the bad ones. I will say, though, I picked this for a very specific reason. And it's not because of the bad boys I had a crush on. It's because (laughs) when I was in eighth grade and I was just about to be a freshman in high school, I had a fantasy (laughs) that I was going to be at my lockers 
-hmm. and I was going to have my bag, which I decorated myself and it had uh, sunflowers on it. And I was going to have my sunflower bag on me. And some senior was going to come up to me and go, well, hello, sunflowers. And I was going to go, whatever, SC, meaning senior citizen, because we give each other names like this. And then um, he and I would have a back and forth relationship where we really didn't like each other even though we both thought each other was good looking. And then I would go to the dance with somebody who was uh, the popular boy who I was supposed to go to school, go to a dance with. And that guy would attack me in the parking lot. And then this senior guy who had a crush on me would roll up on his motorcycle, punch that guy out, put his leather jacket on me. And then me and my beautiful pink fluffy dress would get on the back of his motorcycle put on the helmet that he'd given me, wrap my arms around him, and we would fly off into the bed. So basically one of these books almost. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I look forward to, uh, to diving into that. Um, two things. One, I never had a crush on a bad boy in high school. No, mm, not bad, but like class clowns. I went more for the class clowns. Oh, okay. Two... The more I hear about your high school, the more I think that in high school you were Tina Belcher. Butts, 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 butts. Yeah, no, I mean, I would definitely say, like, if you were in my eyeline and a boy, I was all about it. Okay, okay, okay. But several boys may find this um, interesting information if they were listening to this podcast, which I don't know why they would be, but... Uh, because I also, um, I dated, I went out on, nope, I held hands with a guy freshman <laughs> year and then didn't date anybody after that and wasn't forward enough for anything. And I was exceedingly uncomfortable with that guy who is actually kind of a bad boy. But I found out later, like, he seems like a guy who's doing really well. He's got a couple of kids. He seems really nice. But, um, like, so and and the other thing is that does tie into this book I think a lot of those bad boys the bad boys that I was attracted to 100% were bisexual questioning guys who were then gay (laughs) (laughs) after high school when it was safer for them to be gay so, but they were openly bisexual with me because mm-hmm. I was not scary. And also mm-hmm. they did not actually want to have sex with me or kiss me or anything. So I have a theory just came to my mind. Yes. In high school, A, I didn't give a shit. I was just there to do well to get the fuck out of my hometown. B, I lost my virginity at 15. Uh, had my, I had oral at 14, lost my virginity at 15. See, everyone knew who I was. Was I the bad boy? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm such a bad boy. <laughs> You're such a bad boy. I'm like, oh, sorry. I can't. I have to go take my AP tests, but I'm such a bad boy. God. Okay. So before we get into all of this, and I'm sure mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about our own high school experiences quite a bit. Claire. Yes. What's got you hot and bothered? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. My, okay. So first I'm going to say this. If you are one of those people who during quarantine went out and got a cat or a dog, and then if in a year or two, when we're out of this whole business, you realize you don't have time for that cat or dog and you give them away. I hate you. 
I hate you, I hate you, and I'm very angry at you. I'm angry at you already. But if you're one of those people who went out and got a cat or a dog and have found the love of your life and it surprised you, I'm so But this story is actually about my mother. I wanted to preface with that because, I don't know, it was important for me to say so. My mom lost a cat very recently that was dear to her and it broke her heart. And her husband had lost his dog last year and his heart's been broken since. So they've been sad. So Gary insisted, he's like, I think I need a dog. And mom was like, it's too soon. I can't, I don't, I can't. And he's like, I think we should get one. He researched it, found the dog he wanted. They went and got her. And she was a love bug right away. She was, even though she's one years old, she was super sweet and just adorable. And like, she's yellowish and has like yellow eyeliner around her eyes. And she's just adorable and beautiful. Like she's so sweet and loving. She brings them their own things. So she doesn't like to on their shoes. She likes to collect their shoes for them and give them to them. Like, oh, I found you your shoe. <laughs> I came all across the house. Did you need this remote control even though you're five rooms away from the television? No problem. I have it in my mouth for you. <laughs> so she's very sweet. Her name is Zelda. And apparently when they got her, she was pregnant. <laughs> and nobody knew. And... Uh, she, this weekend, in fact, just yesterday, gave birth to nine healthy puppies. Nine. Oh, my nine. God. <laughs> She's a, not a big dog. This is, like, a medium-sized dog. Nine puppies. Where'd she fit them all? We do not know. <laughs> um, and, and the funniest thing is, like, if you just looked at her... She just looked kind of, kind of a pudgy dog. It is mm-hmm. becoming quite obvious she is not a pudgy dog. <laughs> that she was old, that she was pregnant. But she's so sweet and so gentle. And like, ever, like when they took her to the vet to get checked out after they after, the vet was like, she's great. She's in great health. This is awesome. Good for you guys. So even the vet didn't know she was <gasps> pregnant. And so when they brought her to the vet, they're like, she's not pregnant. It's a false pregnancy. And they're like, oh, yeah, we counted nine. Probably one to two weeks. She said on Thursday, by Saturday, my mother had 10 dogs instead of one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And my mother, who didn't want a dog, who wasn't in on this whole thing, is so in love and so happy and just like, because my mother's such a caring person and so is Gary and they just... They're so excited. They have a, a project and a thing and something to care about and give all their love to. And Zelda's a good mom. Like, as soon as she started giving birth, she's like, oh, that's what this is. Okay, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> she was, like, obviously very confused, but she'd go get mom and Gary from their bedroom and whine. And they're like, what do you need? And she'd go back to her dog bed, meaning, I'm in here. I need you in here. <laughs> So they, so they took turns sleeping with her all night before she gave birth because she didn't want to be alone. Oh, I know. The puppies are so cute. Uh, anyway, and it's just sort of like, it's been a really lovely weekend and really kind of joyous. And It's silly and scary and mom and Gary are like a little worried because now they have to worry about all these puppies. But honestly, it's lovely and delightful. Hmm. I just wanted to share the good news. Oh, that's precious. Yeah. <laughs> Christine's, of... got, Christine's no, go got the photos and she can post them on 
Aww. laces so people can see them. I love, my mother has 10 dogs instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they find homes for all the puppies. Um, yes, I do too. They're, they're thinking right now they're probably going to keep at least one. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, Zelda went through all the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I brought you this gift. Non-puppies. <laughs> Non-puppies. <laughs> you thought the remote was a great gift. Look at this. <laughs> Oh, man. So, anyway, but Neil. Yes. What has got you hot and bothered? So, uh, we'll say that I'm a masochist, and I've been spending a lot of time on the apps, even though there's nothing that can come of it. Okay. So, here is... Okay. So, on uh, Growler, which is an app intended for bears and bear enthusiasts um you can do this thing called a shout which is you pay them money and you basically send a message to everyone in a particular area um i've seen it done for like um theme nights at local gay bars and stuff or like queer djs who are like oh i'm performing here here's all the details and so it's like an advertising thing um Mm -hmm. but some people use it for their personal things So here's a shout that I received on the 14th of May. Hi, guys. I'm looking for anyone who's interested in spending a Friday night with a nice small cub for a reward at the end of the night. You have to be 5'10 and up, weigh 220 pounds and up, and have big hands. Have to be able to lift me up. I am only 150 pounds. So don't be afraid to message. We will figure out more over message and see if it's a fit. Okay, there was no punctuation in there, which is why my reading was so stilted. Um, I just, like, okay, gays, gays, queer men, can we have a conversation, please? Okay. If your type is so specific that they have to be at least 5'10", they have to at least weigh 220, and they have to be able to pick you up, I, I just, like... I don't I don't know the answer, but like find something else, please. And it, to me it's like not it's I don't think it's wrong to uh pay for sex, but it sounds like this is a th- like I can't find this. So I need to solicit people for money to provide this for me. And it's just like I how uh how are we supposed to make it through? I only have this to say, Neil. Yes. Welcome to the straight community, because that's all the ladies want. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies have been making that advertisement for centuries. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, in- I need you to have big hands. I need you to be able to pick me up. <laughs> Incels love talking about how they aren't 6'3", and nobody will fuck them. Yeah. Yeah, but then at is... the same t- at the same time, it's like okay, one, we're in an epidemic, so uh... that's where I thought you were going with this. Was that gays? We need to talk. We're in an epidemic. We're well, also... all sacrificing. But then they were like, "Is that so specific?" And I was like, "Oh, well, yeah, that too." <laughs> yeah, and reading it, I was like, 
Maybe I can make a little extremity. Oh, I don't have very big hands. Oh, well. You do have very delightful hands, though. They're very delicate. They are. They're, well, and they're pianists' hands. No, they aren't, because my fingers aren't long enough. I can barely oh, hit an no. octave. Oh. Yeah. Um, as my one of my female roommate and then my male roommate's girlfriend both pointed out yesterday, I have very soft hands. And I said that's because yeah. I don't perform labor. <laughs> Listeners, you also have to know that Claire has a fan and is just like fanning herself and it makes me want to be more of a bitch. Just like, and I know it's that big fan like energy. Also, it makes me want to put on a bitch face. Like, what the uh-huh. fuck? But the good news is, like, that's kind of my normal face, so it's not. Oh too yeah. Far off of it. I feel like all three of us are in the RBF club, <laughs> which is fine because going to a very liberal school like San Francisco State University where Greenpeace was at the top of campus between you and public transportation to get home, they didn't bother me. (laughs) They knew better. They said, oh, we're not going to talk to her. (sighs) So that's what's got me hot and bothered. Just like, like, it boggles my mind. Okay, okay, okay. Not to say to anyone, the things that you are into sexually are not valid unless you're deciding to have sex with someone against their consent. That's not okay. But, like, the things that you are interested, the qualities of a person that you're interested in, great. But, like, if it's just so specific, like, I may have told this story on the podcast. I had a guy message me to say his thing was men who wear shorts and boat shoes with no socks. (laughs) I mean, that's fine, but you know, any of us can do that for you. (laughs) No, but he was like, hey, do you own boat shoes? I said, no, I don't. And he said, oh. But then he was... What that says to me is like, not a relationship. That person wants to have sex. Yeah, but like almost exclusively with men in shorts and with boat shoes and no socks, which to me is like, I mean, if that were me, if that were me, I would just have boat shoes and shorts around. (laughs) Like, yes, please come over. Don't worry. I have all the gear you need. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. I will appreciate it. He said, Oh, this is my thing. But like, like this is the pinnacle. This is the peak of my sexual interest. But like, there's a foundation below it. No, is, is that's the peak of my sexual interest in yeah, that's yacht his rock. Kink. No, that's his kink. I, that's that's not a kink. That is a fashion preference. It's it's a fetish. Is it? It is. Yes, it's like sexual for him. Like he wants to have sex with men who are in with like it turns him on to see men in shorts with boat shoes with no socks. Well, that's fine. That's not a. That doesn't feel like a fetish, though. It just feels like a thing that turns me on. I'm turned on by Jason Momoa, and I will always be turned on by Jason Momoa. There's never a moment where I will not be turned on by Jason Momoa. It's not a fetish. No, but I like that. That was his. That's how he led the conversation. Fair. <laughs> like that's what he was looking for specifically. That to me speaks fetish. 
Anyway, all of this to say, I would implore the gays, the queer men of the world, just be a little more open. Like, yeah. I, I get everyone has that one thing that, like, really cranks your gear, but, like, and, yeah, it can be pretty easy to find. But also just, like, be open. Just be open yeah. to experiences with other people. That's yeah. all I ask. And, and you may find out that your particular kink or fetish was just the the tip of the iceberg of what that kink or fetish could be. Right? What if it turns out that your fetish is normcore? Wow. And then it opens up a whole new world. Right? And then a everything is for you. World. Yes. <laughs> all sex is for you. All sex is for you. <laughs> anyway, should we talk about some books? Let's talk about these books. Resisting the Rebel by Lisa Brown Roberts. Disclaimer, this book contains a villain pretending to be a hero, a hero pretending to be a villain, a disco dancing heroine, two overprotective sidekicks, a little bit of bad language, and a whole lot of swoony kissing. I consider myself prepared for this, okay. Spirit Committee leader Mandy Pennington is secretly in love with her best friend, Gus. But when he hooks up with her arch enemy at a party, she decides to win him over once and for all. She just doesn't know how. But who better to help than hot loner Caleb Tors? Caleb's got his own problems, but when he sees Mandy pining over Gus at a party, he thinks she's finally smoked the spirit stick and lost her mind. Maybe he has, too, because he just asked Mandy to be his fake girlfriend. She'll get her loser friend's attention, and he'll get his stalker ex off his back. It's a win-win. But soon one fake date blends into the next, and before he knows it, he actually wants to kiss Mandy. For real. Too bad their plan is working, and Gus is finally noticing the one girl Caleb just might be falling for. Dot, dot, dot. So that's that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is that. Can I can I point out just off the bat really fast? I appreciated the paragraph about Mandy and the paragraph about Caleb used different uh, vernacular, mm-hmm. like the narrative does when it's following the two different characters. Yeah, I yeah. appreciated that. Okay, um, I'm sorry. Anyway, Claire, that's what the book says. What happens, Claire? What happens? Tell me. I mean, yes, that's what happens. Um, <laughs> okay, so this book was a trope kerfuffle. One of my, um, so this was the bad boy meets the good girl trope. Mm-hmm. And then fake dating trope on top of that. And then need a good grade, so need a tutor trope on top of that. And then also need to like make the guy I'm really interested jealous trope like it was just tropes on tropes on tropes on tropes. like it was mm-hmm. it was um which I which sometimes I was like yes honestly it was like uh maybe a couple less like this was like a lot of things so Mandy shows up at a party and it's one of those high school parties that is obviously full of people who drink uh, and, you know, have sex with each other, and it's like, it's a high school party where it's just bodies listening to music and taking over somebody's house, and she's feeling lost. It's her birthday. Her best friends had offered to take her to a movie that she really liked, but she decided to not do that because the boy she liked had invited her to this party. 
she had taken her to the party. <laughs> she was just supposed to show up there. She shows up. She can't find him. She's feeling stressed out. She's looking around. A bad boy comes into the picture. And the bad boy is like, you lost. So it's very like big bad wolf vibes. And uh, she says, I'm looking the stoners. Yes, because the stoners, as the stoners did the whole night and every other night they're out, were hitting on her like crazy. Um, and so he rescues her from that, tells her where she can find the guy she's looking for. She finds him sucking face with a girl she hates. And is like, why did he invite me here so that I could see this? This is weird and upsetting and sad. Fair. So she goes, yeah, no, completely fair. I agreed with her. She heads out and is like texting her friends, like, please pick me up, please pick me up. And her brother, please pick me up, please pick me up. And like, nobody's available, like, it's, it's hard. And the bad boy sees her crying and then also sees like guys like hitting on her again. And he's like, oh, I guess I gotta go save the day. And he goes and kind of rescues her from that situation. He's gonna give her a ride home. And they're automatically, there's like animosity between the two of them. They're both super hot for each other. Like, they look at each other like, that chick's hot. She's all, that guy's super hot. But in my dreams, he's into me. And she, and he's more or less like, I mean, she's obviously into me because it's super hot. Great. But um, I'm not going to go there because I don't date cheerleaders. Because he's the bad boy. So, <laughs> so he takes her home and they have like a back and forth where she calls him demon because he's a bad guy. That's the bad boy way that I'm saying where it's like cool and, you know, or whatever no it's like bad boy like you're obviously a bad guy like you wear leather and skip glasses you're a not good person and, <laughs> and he thinks she's uh crazy and says a lot of things very fast and doesn't like that about her and so and also she likes music from the 70s so he calls her disco and she calls him demon and there we get the nicknames Can this I is interject? another trope can I interject yes. really fast? So her name is Mandy, and she was named uh -huh. after the Barry Manilow song. Mandy. Mm -hmm. And there's one point where she was like, oh, I was named after the song Mandy. And, and the guy, Je uh, Caleb, is like, oh, I've never heard of it. And then the narrative is like, oh, nobody had ever heard the song. Fuck you, everybody knows that song. Yeah, that's like, yeah. I mean, although, to be fair, high school people have only had so many years listening to things. <laughs> right, but even like as a joke, it comes up. Like it's in The Simpsons. They parry yeah. Simpsons. Yeah, and it was also in a movie that was kind of not too popular, but a little popular. Uh, Can't hardly wait, which is a <gasps> high school romance movie, where oh. he's after a girl named Amanda, and he wants to talk to Barry Manilow because he wrote the song Mandy. Like that's <laughs> part of the plot of that movie. So it's. Uh, no, I agree with you, but also, also like Ethan Embry is get, so cute. Oh, Ethan! Like, even now, him and Grace and Frankie, ah, uh, so cute. I love. I love that he got buff and tatted. I love it oh, so much. Yes. <laughs> oh, I loved him then. I love him now. It's all great. Um. So anyway, so Caleb and Mandy are now tied together and uh, inextricable inextricably inextricably tied together inextricably. um because inextricably blah, 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 blah. um because he, words he can't he can't really get her off of his mind and she can't get him off of hers 
But anyway, it seems like they have English class together that next week, which is my first and biggest thing in this book that is incorrect. No, they don't. They just have the same teacher. They just have the same teacher. He's like hanging out though when she gets out of class. He's just there. Oh, I don't it, remember. It made it. It kind of made it sound like he was in the class with her. Oh, later, later, it's pretty clear that he's not. Yeah, yeah no, later it's really clear because he's in AP English and she mm-hmm. couldn't get to AP English if she wished on a magic lamp. So, like, um, you know that phrase, "wish on a magic lamp." <laughs> Like, like I was like, how else do you get an AP English? But, <laughs> um, That's so, what I had to do. So it was confusing at the top for me. But um, anyway, okay. so the AP English teacher, who's also her English teacher, just because he teaches other English classes, is fucking dickhead. And she clearly states, I have ADHD and uh, dysgraphia, and I need extra time on this essay, and my counselor says that I should, and he's like, whatever. All of these are excuses. I don't believe in any of this stuff. Uh, you are, you're just not trying hard enough. And you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're like, he's a big old jerk. Which I did appreciate the treatment of her ADHD in this and her dysgraphia. Like, I really liked that. Um, mm-hmm. And I liked the way that she had to deal with the administration, working through it. One of the things that this book did switch is usually it's the bad boy who's having a hard time in school. Mm-hmm. and the good girl is doing really well in school and she needs to like show him that he's actually good at stuff and can do things but in this one the bad boy is actually really good at certain things in school and he tutors her after mm-hmm. this after this incident with his favorite english teacher and um but at the same time she's still like head of the spirit committee she's mm-hmm. part of like 20 different clubs like her es- extracurriculars are on fucking point yeah Jesus. and he he's, says that too he yeah. points that out he's like no like everybody's brains think differently and it's it's okay that you're never gonna get this and it's it's mm-hmm. fine you are you work so hard and you're so good at doing multitasking and getting other people excited that's also a talent you don't yeah, have to and- feel bad about that that's what I enjoyed. One of the things I enjoyed about this book is that part of it is him realizing, because, okay, look, Caleb is kind of a, like, he's a dick. He's a dick. Yeah, he's a dick. He does that high school thing that's really genuine, but was still really obnoxious to read, where, like, anything he doesn't like is freaky or weird or crazy. Mm-hmm. His favorite, we need to get into this later, his favorite book is Catcher in the Rye. So, like, that tells you everything. That. that tells you everything you need to know about him. But it's him realizing, oh, different people are sometimes also awesome. And then <laughs> as he's realizing, as he's realizing that, he's showing Mandy like, oh, because she, you know, like her ADHD and her dysgraphia, especially we see through the her how she gets treated by this teacher, like they feel like a weight around her neck. But he's like, no, like you're you're not good at writing essays but you're good at, you know, like you're good at motivating people. You're good at multitasking. You're good at all these other things. And it's not him being like, oh, let me show you what your worth is. It's him like pointing out, no, you're already doing great. I'm just Mm -hmm. here to help you realize that you're already doing great. And I really appreciated that because we don't see it often. No, I appreciated the hell out of that. I think. Um, And that was something I really, really did like about this book a lot. Like, 
she already had these qualities that were great and it's not that she didn't recognize them in herself it was just that nobody else had really stated them the way he does mm -hmm. and she her friends were really in her corner and were really supportive and mm -hmm. even uh, when and, she, even when she thought they were not acting in her best interest yeah, they were they actually were and so so having him there it wasn't like it wasn't like magic dick saves the world. It was very much like, right. no, this is how a supportive person who loves you acts. Yes, yes. By getting to know you, by understanding your limitations, and also like providing emotional support in a way that's actually supportive. <laughs> and yeah, and the same, I mean, like jumping ahead a little bit when she has the scenes where she stands up to Kay, which is her nemesis that's making out with a guy that she likes. And then she also has a scene where she's standing up to the, dick teacher caleb is there for both of them and he doesn't stand up to them for her and they basically have this conversation about it that she's like you're kind of a dick and he's like yeah i can be a dick for you to other people when you need it and he basically like demands the other person's time so that mandy can stand up for herself yeah and that was really nice yeah. to see and then he tells her she did a good job and asks her if she needs anything afterwards. Like, it's just like, was that seems like it was a hard thing, but I'm proud of you. You did a good job. So it's like, I, it was, I thought it was, it was a really good example of how that can work. Also, mm -hmm. and of course, I'm skipping way ahead, but this is like, whatever, kind of in line with this conversation. Because what I talked about in my middle school fantasy of what my high school dating life was going to be, like I'm attacked in the parking lot by somebody and this guy comes up and rescues me. Mm -hmm. And a similar thing happens at the end of this book where she has a very uncomfortable conversation in, uh, in the parking lot with the guy, the guy she has a crush on, but she saves herself. She does. Like, she punches him in the face. She punches him in the face and she tells him off and just in time, like Caleb comes in and is like, I would also, I would also tear that guy up if you want. And she's like, no, actually, I think I did everything to <laughs> Yeah, he turns to, to Gus, the guy that she likes, and he's like, oh, it's a good thing she punched you first because that would have put you in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, oh, she's taking care of this. So my role here is to like make sure that she's okay. Yeah. It was great. And it was that was perfect. That was really good. Anyway, so now, but, listeners, you know all of that information. Yeah, but also for me, <laughs> it was like every time Caleb did something great, he then did something awful. And yeah. not just like, like, there was one point, like, in their first meeting where they're kind of, like, razzing each other. And she, um, on, as he's taking her home, they stop at a 7-Eleven. And he's like, oh, I'm getting a red... Oh, she's like, where are you taking me? And he's like, I'm going to 7-Eleven. I'm getting a Red Bull. Do you want anything? And she says, and this is a quote, she shook her head, eyes wide. You don't want to see me on Red Bull. And then the next paragraph, Caleb stared, not sure whether to laugh or hit something. Yeah. That, to me, is unsettling. <laughs> it, was, it was really unsettling. I didn't... I mean, because the author obviously wanted to make him a tough guy. Okay, the things that always piss me off in any of these books is like also the sexy thought talk. You know, like I'm having sexy thoughts in my head about this person. And it gets really kind of grotesque, even in this book, where he's like, mm -hmm. she's doing such a good job at this meeting. I just want to pull her into my lap and start making out with her. And I'm like, in the Starbucks? 
Well, yeah. she's leading a cheerleading. There's there's that one seems point. Seems awkward. Yeah, like, and one... it's why can't why can't we just write it in such a way? It's like I'm finding myself kind of turned on by how well she's doing. That is fine enough. I don't actually need the action of what you think. Even if there's like later, I had a fan. Like if it's later, he's in his bedroom and he's like, I kept having a fantasy of her standing up there, like being in charge and me pulling her into my lap. Like that's fine. That's the appropriate time to have that fantasy. <laughs> I'm not perfectly worried about it, but like not right then. Yeah. Please. Yeah. And every time it comes up in these books, where it almost undermines the strength of the the other character, even if it's mm-hmm. the woman thinking about it, if it's the man, if it's two people it doesn't matter who's ever it's doing usually it, a woman it, it genuinely feels like it's undermining whatever they're doing at the moment and it's yeah oh so awkward yeah and that happened several times even though again he was emotionally supportive he showed up to the things he was there mm-hmm. anyway we haven't even got to why they fake dated <laughs> <laughs> also one really quick thing there's a point towards i want to say it's like three quarters of the way into the book after after they've both realized, oh, like her skill set isn't in like writing an essay. Her skill set is in all these other things. And like they've both come to realize that she has a different kind of strength than he does. Cause he's, he's, um, except for, is it calculus that he's not doing great in? It's, it's like calculus and science. Yeah. But like literature, especially that she's struggling in, he excels at. Um, and so they, they both realize, oh, they're, they, both have they both have strengths that are different there's one point that it's just like oh she said this thing and then she like seems so so vulnerable so whatever let me see if i can find it actually (laughs) just search for the word vulnerable no i like made a note oh good for you here we go uh the way he saw her because how she looked amazing vulnerable sweet tempting and my note was not intelligent, accomplished, determined, because those things I find attractive. Well, I'm up for somebody finding those things attractive, but that's not what he found attractive in her. I know. Like, also, I don't know. Just like because it like was, she was when she was on the sidewalk in front of the party, and she was being hit on by these other guys. She was literally vulnerable then. And he wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the attraction he had there. He was like, no, I need to save her because she's literally vulnerable and that's not, not okay. And I can do something. He was obviously more attracted to her later when she's in charge of stuff. So having that line actually makes no sense for character. Right. And also like if someone finds someone sexually attractive because they're vulnerable, I am immediately icked out. Like I, I don't, I, mean, I personally don't I mean, get it. No. I find emotional vulnerability, like depending on the circumstance, kind of a, kind of sexy. And I and I find like being emotion, being vulnerable in a moment, like I'm opening myself up to you, and that mm-hmm. is making me vulnerable. That can be a big turn on and very sexy. See, I find vulnerability intimate and attractive and admirable. I don't find it sexy. I think that's weird. And looking at it, it's actually 7% in. So I think it's shortly after he saved her from the stoners. And I use the quote, mm. saved her from the stoners. Because as Christine said in, in the chat for a Zoom meeting, oh, saved her from all of the Doritos? Yeah. Um, but like that, the fact that he had to rescue her, that she was 
vulner like physically vulnerable as what he finds sexually attractive that to me is gross no i agree um but this plays into again going back to my middle school fantasy that's the fantasy it's playing into and it's not the fantasy of the guy it's the fantasy the girl is having the no. girl is having a fantasy that she no and i agree i agree i'm not saying i disagree i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just a, saying that's what this is for i know it's a byproduct of the patriarchy and we need to be critical of that <laughs> agreed agreed <sighs> anyway so why are they dating claire why are they fake dating so um after she runs out of the classroom upset um mm-hmm. Uh, he, they have a little bit of a talk and he finds out that she's super, she's having this really shitty, shitty day. In fact, like this guy she's had a crush on practically her whole life is dating the person she hates the most in the world. And that's Who's, shitty and upsetting. And Kay, she's definitely a bitch. She's for sure a bitch. Yeah, 100%. Did you know um, anyone like that in high school? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't. Like, I didn't know... Okay, okay. I didn't know anyone who was horrible to me like that. I know people who were horrible to me for different ways. Like, there was this one guy when I was in high school. Honestly, I had to look him up in a yearbook because I had no idea who he was. But whenever the two of us passed each other and we were out of earshot of everyone else, he would say things like, you know, like, fucking homo, fuck the GSA, which is the Gay Straight Alliance. He'd say stuff like that. A sort, like, under his breath, but loud enough for me to hear. But then, of course, me being over high school, I was like, I don't know who you are. Your opinion means absolutely nothing to me. I'm sorry. This doesn't, this doesn't affect me. I'm a bad boy. Thanks. <laughs> um, but I never had anyone, like, if anyone was, it was just that one guy who was horrible to me for that. No one was actually horrible to me for like, oh my God, you're so fucking weird. You're so fucking like spazzy or whatever. Did that happen to you? Um, yes. Oh, okay. But I will also say like, um, I had a similar sort of, sort of sense of myself where it's like this moment that's happening doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Like you're hurting my feelings, but it also doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I get the genuine sense that I myself in high school was an awkward, unsure of myself person who may have also have been cruel at times mm. in ways that I'm not, I'm not sure, like, uh, like, I think, like, we're all capable of a great deal of cruelty when we're oh, growing yeah. up. And um, I can look back on conversations I had with other people and think, it might have been me. Like, in those moments, it might have been me who was the unkind mm. one, who was the one who was, um, who was being cruel. And I think, like, um, I mean, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that information uh, myself. And I can mm-hmm. also remember times when people were cruel to me um, mm-hmm. and things felt uncomfortable and awkward. Um, but I also know that within my particular circle of friends, I was one of the protected ones. Mm. Like I, I was innocent and maybe they were worried I was going to be a narc too, which is quite mm. possible. So like I didn't go to the parties 
where, where people were doing drugs or drinking or anything, even though several of my friends were in those kinds of groups, mm-hmm. I wasn't taking part in that. I have a couple stories about that that we'll touch on in the next book. Yeah, yeah, the next book is where it gets interesting. So I don't know, but like I was, I was also not in charge of anything in high school. Like, sure, maybe one thing. I was in charge of one thing in high school, and I'm pretty sure I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> see, I guess just because, like, okay, I think it was several things. One, when we see movies, like high movies that take place in high school. They're all filmed in SoCal. So, like, those high schools looked like my high school. Those people dressed like the people at my high school dressed. And so the fact that my high school experience was absolutely nothing like that felt really disjointed to me. Um, I, that's how I felt in college at times. Like, I felt mm. that less in high school, but more in college. Like, I mean... There was times when, like, watching TV or movies, I'm like, why don't I get to go to those cool parties that they're obviously having in TV and movies? But um, right. there was also a sense like, I was like, oh, I'm just not part of that group. Whoever that group right. is, it's somebody else. I'm not in that circle. Right. But I think at the same time, too, for me, it's like, oh, people go to these parties to, like, hook up, make out, whatever, whatever. And, like, that's not an option for me. Because... At my high school, there were only ever three openly gay guys at a time, and we were all friends anyway. <laughs> and we weren't going to those parties. I don't know. I don't know. Well, anyway. you still managed. You still managed to hook up with somebody before I did. Yes, uh, they both ended terribly. Uh, um, most high school relationships do. Well, okay. Well, so, um. I mean, I, I feel like what I just did there was diminish your experience. And yeah, I'm sorry. Like, no, like, that is not what I intended to do. Sh- no, I know. And like, yes, most high school experiences are terrible. But the first, my first kiss, which quickly became my first uh, experience with oral sex, um, like a month or two later led to somebody threatening to commit suicide. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Why yeah. are they dating? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, high school. All of these tender memories and moments that are hard. I know. Why are they dating? He's got a crazy ex-girlfriend who's, like, stalking him, and he wants to, like, show that he's moved on so that maybe she'll, like, get off his back. And he has a theory that if 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 Mandy dates somebody, that the guy she's interested in will get jealous and Mm -hmm. want to be with more. Mm Mm-hmm. That is his theory, and it is the most, like, romance, rom-com theory ever, and it makes no sense. It is... But he's right. The dumbest thing, because why would... Oh, he's right, because the plot dictates him to be right. Well, also, um, we find out that the guy Why that would it... Why would it... The guy that she's into is a garbage person. Oh, yeah, no, another garbage person. But... Why would it make one person jealous in a way that would make them want to connect more and another person jealous in a way that would make them want to disengage? Like, it, like, <laughs> right. It's, well, we it's, do. It's solving two different problems with the same method. Yes. <laughs> yes. In a, and like, like and going like, keto. Okay. Yeah, like, I, I would almost have preferred, like, one, I did like that he had this ex who was like, um, stalking him. Mm-hmm. I like the comeuppance he sort of had based on that experience, but I disliked that 
plot point at all. Like it could easily have gotten rid of. Mm -hmm. It's just that the thing is, I think as the author was going through it, she realized that Caleb was obviously a nice guy if he was doing all of these things for her. Because in this fake relationship, he shows up as a boyfriend all the time. Like, he goes to her cheer events, despite the fact that he hates them. He goes, he opens she's, his house to her um, friends so that they can do a bake-off. She's not a cheerleader. She's on, like, color guard. It's like dance squad. Yeah. Not a cheerleader. Very different. High school kids well, will tell you they're very different. I suppose, but the cheer people sort of showed it up for her at the end. Well, yeah, because she's friends with the cheer people because they're all part of the spirit committee. Yeah, I understand. I don't really understand, but I understand. I, just, I don't know about <laughs> your high school. In my high school, being a cheerleader and being in, like, color guard meant two very different things socially. Look, I'm going to say this. I think a real big reason why I was not a part of a lot of the high school like the the high school dramas that a lot of people were is because i didn't fucking get it i didn't understand (laughs) i didn't like it i wasn't like i wanted to go to the dances too don't get me wrong i also wanted to look pretty but then when i got there it was always like oh this is fucking dumb (laughs) it's all about the people that you go with i had oh my god okay so here's a fun story i had a friend um, in that we knew each other in like elementary school, and then we were not friends come high school because she got popular. And then like junior year, she's like, "Ah, fuck it, I don't care." And then we were in theater together, and she's like, "Hey, you're cool. Can we hang out?" And I was like, "Okay, sure." And she would tell me. So the name of my high school was Polly, which is short for Polytechnic High School but we all just called it Polly. And one night driving around with her, I discovered there's a thing called the Polly party, which is when the popular kids didn't know what to do with themselves. They would go to the Vaughn's parking lot and just like sit there until they figured out what to do. And when I learned that, I was like, (laughs) I'm so fucking glad I'm not popular. I always have something to do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh man. Um, yes. Uh, anyway, so Caleb gives himself a lot to this fake relationship and it feels really unbalanced because the only thing that she does for him on his side is really just make out with him in the halls once to make the girlfriend who the girl who's like following him around upset. Um, and then a rumor starts going around that the guy she's really in love with Gus is like, uh, kind of real rapey. He's real rapey with all they, the girls he's dating. They call him Octogus. Octogus, because everybody so must have nicknames. Everybody must have nicknames. Oh! Ah. It is... Ups- okay, here's the thing. So, um, Mandy has two best friends, <laughs> um, and here's where we get, like, our token gay guy in. But he does get a boyfriend. He gets a boyfriend. He gets and- a boyfriend... He is important to the plot. He's more important to the plot than the girlfriend. So. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm happy about it. So he's Don't not get token. me wrong. He will not. Well, there's just the one, except for his boyfriend, who's guys going to come I in. I mean, sure. Well, but also, like, as someone who only had three openly gay guys at his high school of, like, over, you know, a thousand people to, no, uh, 2,000 people. 
true 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 um and like he seems very nice he sticks up for his friend uh, i enjoyed him as a character an awful lot and would have loved a book about him <laughs> i appreciate um, it too that because he and caleb used to be friends and they would watch power rangers together um caleb was the red ranger and uh jt the gay friend was the blue ranger Mm-hmm. The actor who played the Blue Ranger was gay and was um, harassed horribly on set yes. for being gay. Horribly. Although, yeah, I was just All trying to think of like the timeline. Although during the time that they were watching the Rangers, I, they might have been watching a different cast. Although the writer was definitely watching the one you and I were just talking about. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but they had that previous relationship. They called each other Red Ranger and Blue Ranger. It was cute. The gay friend was important for the plot. He was. He was. Uh, it's just that the Red Ranger, Blue Ranger thing, it got so annoying. And it was just like nicknames on nicknames on nicknames. And I'm just like, just call each other your names. Just call your names. It just, it got to be so much um, that that was... It's, it, you just feel that because you're terrible with names. I mean, I'd prefer nicknames if we could all just give each other nicknames. Okay. <laughs> I would remember it if I got to name you. <laughs> <laughs> but then would you remember every name that you gave to everyone? No, I, d- I, had an, I had an invisible friend growing up and I never remembered her name. I'd have to ask my mother what my invisible friend's name was. <laughs> That's the most Claire thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a lot about our high school experiences, and mm. I will never stop apologizing for one, apparently being the bully, and two, actively bullying you on this podcast. So it's <laughs> fine. It's, it's one, not two. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> Thank you but. for your apology. <laughs> I accept it graciously. Oh, okay. <laughs> Almost 40. Good Lord. All right. <sighs> so um, on to this book, the rest of this book. I'm going to sum up very quickly because we want to get on to the next book. What's important is that um, our man, uh, Caleb, starts to realize he's super into this girl. This girl has a lot to offer him. He really likes her and he wants to show that to her. Uh, she's absolutely 100% into this guy, but she still thinks he's a bad person deep down. Like there's something about him that's not good and not worth her time. Not her time. I don't mean that. It's just that she wants, she wants to be with this other guy who she's had a crush on since she was in kindergarten. Yeah. So she wants to fulfill that. She's going to move on with that. And that guy, Gus, starts putting in the effort because the plan starts to work. He stops by her her work and gives her, like, lemonade and the um, the Aunt Annie's, like, a um, pretzel. And if a guy did that for me, in, in like Flynn, in like Flynn, because those are oh, tasty for and sure. delicious. For sure. Um, <laughs> for sure. So, but our man, like, sees, like, we hear a lot about Gus. One, that he's rapey with other girls. Two, he has a plan. His plan is totally to get uh, Mandy in a hotel room the night of homecoming. And he's going to have sex with her whether she wants to or not, which is a known plan. It's out there in the world. 
And Mandy's like, that can't be true. I know him. He's so nice. And he even like, he like, this is one of my favorite villain things. I think that I've almost ever seen in a book. He comes up to her and he's like, people are saying bad things about me. Yes. Please don't believe what they're saying. Yes. Like, of course not. It was like, I was like, this is fucking brilliant because this okay. actually happens. Yes. So that by the time Kay, her nemesis that he was dating, comes to Mandy and like, okay, listen, I know we're not friends and I know you're into Gus. You need to know this, which reminded me of that Italian woman in the straight drag queen book mm-hmm. who was like, okay, I'm sorry. I had the same thoughts. I had the same yes. thoughts. It's like, I'm sorry. Our differences aside, we are both women who deserve better than this guy. But Gus had laid the groundwork. So by the time Kay came to Mandy and was like, he's, you know, garbage. Mandy didn't believe her. Yeah. And Gus was one step ahead of everybody's plans after that. So Caleb tells uh, JT, TJ? JT. JT. He tells JT, I think I'm into Mandy. And, and JT's like, you know what? We're on board. We like you. We've seen you put in the work. We know that you're doing it. We agree. You need to do a promposal. And he's like, I don't want to. And also, it's uh, homecoming, not prom. He's like, it's just what it's called, man. It's called a promposal and you got to do it. <laughs> there was one point I made a note. I'm like, I'm so glad this wasn't a thing when I was in high school. Fuck me. I am so glad. I won the pressure. Like, and like, even like, discussing like like it's just too much it's too much pressure to put on anybody in a social relationship where they're probably only going to see each other for that prom or dance and then break up because that's what you do in high school Mm -hmm. oh so hardcore anyway so and and to his credit caleb's like i'm not into that and to to the credit of her friends, are like, yeah, but she is. And if you like her, you kind of have to do some of the things she's into. And Gus made a shitty proposal. And he did it first. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. he did it first, and even though Mandy thought it was shitty, she was like, I should feel differently after this, but I'm going to say yes. And she does say yes, so now she's going. But immediately she feels awkward around Gus. Like, mm-hmm. Gus is just throwing awkward signals all around. Like, and it's uh-huh. not great. He, he forces her to kind of go off campus for lunch, even though she was supposed to do something. He's ignoring all the things she likes, ignoring what she wants to do, even though there's, even though they have kind of a similar friend group, like he's isolating her already. Like, yeah. And, and we find out that like her other friends don't really like him all that much anymore. Yeah. I think it's kind of weird. Cause like she and JT and the other friend, Cammie, they used to all be friends with Gus when they were in like kindergarten. And then I guess JT well, the and Cammie. Kindergarten Cammy, up through middle school. Yeah. But then I guess JT and Cammie are like, oh, whatever. That guy's kind of boring. And I guess Mandy's super into him, but I got other things going on. Because Cammie and JT both have boyfriends. So they're like, right. I got to go worry about this. I don't know. I found that kind of weird. Yeah. And they kind of talked to her about it a little bit like, hey, I mean, really, Gus? And she's like, yes, for real, it's Gus. And they're like, okay, I guess we're going along with it. Um, and then even when they did confront her and like, Gus is no good, we've heard things. She's like, Gus had already laid the groundwork. And she's like, no, you're being a bad friend. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Caleb found out about it first and was like, I got to stop this from happening. But he didn't say anything to her. 
Yeah, which I know for only, plot reasons, whatever. I but know, like, but the only reason, he, and the only way he was going to stop it was by being her date instead. It was so weird. Yeah. What I was expecting to happen it was for him to say it and for her to not believe him and then for Cammy to say it later and for her to be like, oh, well, maybe. The thing is, Gus found out, or um, Caleb found out, didn't say anything. Cammy found out, told Mandy. Mandy didn't believe Cammy because she's like, no, mm-hmm. we know Gus. We know he's not like that. And then Gus told Mandy, like, oh, people are spreading rumors. So then after that was Kay. So Mandy didn't believe mm-hmm. Kay. This whole time, Caleb didn't say anything. And he's yeah. like, oh, I got to stop it from happening. Say something, you jackass. Yeah, that's literally all it would have taken. Like, or, she would have believed him. Or for the narrative to say, oh, Caleb knew, but he knew that Mandy wouldn't believe him because of, like, everything that was going on. Even just yes. to say that, it yes. didn't even acknowledge that. He just didn't say anything which was weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, not something I like. But he does work really hard. He puts together the promposal. The thing happens in the parking lot that we already talked about where mm-hmm. Gus is like, I've she got five fingers in your nose. hair and I'm calling you babe. And she's like, what the fuck is up with this? He won't like back off. She punches him in the nose. And, and then Caleb does the promposal and it's fucking huge. And he dresses and like, he gets the cheerleaders to do a cheer that he wrote. And it's like, it's the huge, it's the biggest promposal since TJ's, which was uh, JT's, which was uh, which was like the Death Star. He came out of it, like literally. Yeah, it was Star Wars like, themed for his nerdy right, boyfriend. Right. Um, and, and they go out and like, they have a great time. <laughs> Yay. And like, now they're together and and like he's learned to come out of his shell and he's learned that he can trust people again because he had some he had a hard time with like private school and with what was happening in his family and now he's he's open and she's learned that she can trust who she is and she can be cool and also you know that not everybody who's a bad guy dresses in black leather blah 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 we've learned lessons we're allowed to kiss each other yay uh yeah yeah um, again, like things I really loved about this book, the way they treated ADHD mm-hmm. and dysgraphia mm-hmm. and the way she was her own heroine and still got the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought if I was into teenagers kissing, this was sexy. I'm not into teenagers kissing. So mostly it was like icky, but it was fine still. It was, um, it was very, uh, I don't want to say chaste. Chaste isn't quite the right word, but it was like, it, there was a line and the author didn't go past that line because she yeah, knew she was yeah. dealing with teenagers. Yeah. Which I appreciated. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, I mean, on the whole, I, I read this book in four hours. Like it was a very quick read. It was. Uh, and it was super fun. Even when I didn't like what was happening, it was actually a really fun read. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the mm-hmm. nicknames, but I understood them. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, and the, there was a social difference, too. Like, she's obviously having a much harder time at home, <gasps> monetary-wise. Like, her father's a truck driver, and she has to take care of her uh, grandmother who lives with them. And her older brother is kind of, is, is a pothead in the way that we generally think of potheads, but he's also, like, not a great older brother and leaves all of the things to her. Caleb is a rich boy. And he's got, like... Uh, 
like there's a woman who helps take care of him while his mm -hmm. father's gone and his mother had abandoned them when they were eight. So, but he's a rich boy and she's a poor kid. And that was actually pretty well put together, I thought. And they both had absent mothers yep. that influenced them in a way that made sense. Yes. Her mom was super into disco when she was younger and Mandy... Who and, and then she passed away when Mandy was younger, so Mandy sort of took all of that on. Caleb's mother left, but he remembers her, like, they shared literature. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, he wants to be a writer. Oh, we didn't even talk about Catcher in the Rye. Well, girl. Girl, very quickly. So, Kayla, so this whole, all of the essay stuff happens because she has to write an essay about Catcher in the Rye, and she fucking hated that book. Yeah, thought it was awful. Caleb loves that book, and he thinks uh -huh. it's like great American literature, and has read it over and over and over again. And the one thing I knew you would really love about Caleb is he hates it when people write in the books, uh, highlight words and dog ear them, and like he sees her book and it's all dog eared and written on, and he's like, "That bitch is tearing apart books." And then he's like, "Oh, it's a public library book, and I should read it." So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because also he loves catching the right because he identifies with the character mandy Holden, hates yeah. it mandy hates it because she's like he's he has everything he has absolutely everything but he he like finds reason to complain about everything yeah and and like that's who caleb is yep and like caleb sure, is... sure being left by your mother and like but then he also has this weird thing with his dad and his dad's like an architect or an engineer or something and because yeah he Caleb well he doing... he's an engineer but he actually owns like an engineering firm so he's actually right. like a ceo right and so because caleb is doing poorly in calculus he feels that his dad is judging him but then we see the conversation with the dad and his dad's and like oh how are you not, doing in like... calculus and it's like not great blah, blah 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 and the dad's like whatever just like go to college and then <laughs> caleb's like i don't want to go to college blah or like, like, maybe I don't want to. He's like, he's rebelling against nothing. Right. Yeah, he, he tells his dad, he's like, I just want to be on the road. You know, like Kerouac. Yeah. And, and his dad's like, that's and a his terrible dad's like, idea. Do that over the summer. Yes. <laughs> Go to college and every summer just take a road trip, do whatever. But like, get an education. And Caleb's like, yeah. rah. And so when Mandy's like, yeah, the guy in Catcher in the Rye is a fucking spoiled asshole. Caleb's like, how dare you? Oh. Oh, oh. Yeah, I also feel like that particular educational experience spoke to me because when I first read Catcher in the Rye, I had the same feeling. Like, I was like, who is this motherfucker? And I hate him. Mm -hmm. And everybody telling me at school, like, this is good. But all of the books we were reading, I was told this is a good book. This mm -hmm. is a good book. And I'm telling you why it's a good book without letting you actually have your opinion on it. And then later... I like later when I was uh, in like after graduate school, I read it again and I did identify with Holden. Like I did understand what he was going through and it did mm. make more sense. And it was a more intense journey that I identified with more as an adult looking back at my life as a child than I did when I was a child mm. and looking at his life. Like, never... and it's like, that's, that's what I feel like why it makes it like, great american literature mm. because it changes with you as you grow but not because we're being told it's great american yeah. literature and i think caleb will grow out of this book <laughs> i've never read it and like 
I, I feel like there's a reason it's there's a reason it has a place in American literature that it does. Sure. Also, it's not the most important book ever. And lots of women were writing books that were very similar that have not made it into the canon. Right. So whatever. The, the few things that I know about Catcher in the Rye, well, basically the only thing I know about Catcher in the Rye is that the people who love it are straight white guys who have no reason to rebel against anything but feel that they have to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. But I also feel like they're missing the point of that book then because they see they see somebody who's rebelling and they love it and they're like, yeah, everybody is phony. But Holden is the only one who's phony in that book. Yeah, and Mandy and makes all those points with the teacher yeah. when he's like, oh, but he's great to children. And she's like, yeah, that one time and here are the 12 other times that he's terrible. Yeah, and like, but that's also the point of the book that... Holden is going through a really rough time and it's so hard he can't talk about it and it makes him feel like a fake person. But because he doesn't know how to say that, he projects that onto the rest of the society. Oh, I hate That's, it. Yeah, it's a hard read. It's hard to read that. Do you think I'd it, enjoy it? No, oh, do not you think at all. I'd, do you think I'd gain anything from it? Look, I think it's, uh, I think it's a beautifully written book. Um, okay. But also I think like it's a time of your life book. Like, you're not always going to like this book. And I, mm. again, I think that's what makes it brilliant in some ways. Um, and also <laughs> the economy of language, blah, blah, blah. We can really get into this, but I kind of feel like it's not actually a great book to teach high schoolers. <laughs> Welcome to the Catch and the Rye podcast. <laughs> okay, part of me does want to read it to do a queer reading of it, just to see what that looks like. Oh yeah, no, 100%. I think you should. like. I think I think there's definitely a, a a queer reading of this. I can't I can't help but think that there's a scene where he gets picked up by a guy on the highway because he's hitchhiking and that man wants to have sex with him but he doesn't know it. Um, that moment actually might happen on a train. Even better, it's more romantic that way. Oh, I mean, it would be romantic, except it's Holden and it's the time it was written in, so they say the f word a lot, and Holden throws that around pretty liberally. Of course, of course. Of course, of course. Because <laughs> he's a self-hating gay. Anyway. Yes, quite possibly. Um, I so, really, I enjoyed reading Resisting the Rebel. I did too. I kind of, like, I really did. And it wasn't just because of the book we read first. Mm-hmm. No, I read this one first. Good for you. I read the yeah. other one first. This I generally like read the straight one first. Yeah. So when you said it's like a trope soup... Like, looking back, I kind of agree. But reading it and being someone who doesn't, you know... I mean, yes, I'm an expert on romance genre, obviously, now. But, like, reading it, it mostly felt organic. Um, it didn't feel unorganic. I understood where... I mean, all all of these books are trope soupy. Like, it's just, like, you you always throw them in. It just felt obvious to me. Like, it didn't... Oh, okay. So I would... So I would say, like, I understood where they were all coming from. I knew the basis mm-hmm. for all of them. It just, it just felt like one too many obvious okay. tropes. Okay. Like, I think I would have, like, I think I could have done with one less. Like, honestly, the fake dating is such a very specific and huge trope that is very, that needs so much plot. I could have done without that one. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the one I could have done without. Okay. I would have, I could have done without the crazy ex-girlfriend because. Definitely. Like, I, I honestly felt it added nothing. It's it's also a really terrible trope. 
And for most of the book, when Caleb was like, oh, she's crazy, she's a stalker, I was like, no, she's not. No, she's not. But then we find out, yes, she's in therapy. She has stuff that she needs to work through. And that was I kind of it- like handled kind of okay where she approached from her side caleb it made caleb a dick like yes when he kept calling her crazy after that i was like you son of a bitch yes but the way that he not to defend yeah i agree with you but also when she approached him was like i'm in therapy i'm looking for closure blah 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 and he was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna like let you say your piece and like how he felt about it was also she's the one that told him about Gus's plan to take Mandy to the hotel room yep. and rape her if needs must. So like, I appreciated that she was important to the plot. And she said like, Hey, I need to, I need to get closure. Here's a way I'm doing that by helping mm-hmm. you with your relationship with this other girl. But also like, I, I think what it would have made more sense for me is if like Caleb's father and the school had kind of gotten together and it was like, Caleb's showing some pretty antisocial behavior. We're a little bit worried. We kind of like him to start doing things. And that's why he was at the party. Because they're like, we want you to engage socially with the other students. Mm-hmm. And so then when he picked her up, he's like, why don't you, if they're going to go fake date, why don't you pretend to be my girlfriend, my dad, and for the school? So that way they think I'm being social. And then I'll go to your things. And that helps me as well. And that... Like, and that- would be a reason for him to be mad at his dad. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Anything else? That's it. That's we really should move on. That was that book. <laughs> that was that book. <laughs> Collide, J.R. Lennox. Being bisexual is cool now, unless you're a boy, or so it seems to invisible fifteen-year-old Hazard James. But when he falls in with a bad apple, Jesse Wesley, Hazard is suddenly shoved into the spotlight. Jesse and his friends introduce him to an underworld of teenage life, house parties, hangovers, the advantages of empty homes, and the reputation by association. So what if his old friends don't get it? So what if some people love to hate him? Screw the gossip and high school, uh, screw gossip and high school secret rules. They're just something about There's just something about walking into a room and having all eyes on him when just last year, nobody noticed him at all. For a while, Hazard basks in the attention before he realizes the depth of the waters he's waiting. He and Jesse strike up a friends with benefits routine. It could be something more, but what self-respecting teenage boy would admit it? Not Jesse, and so not Hazard either. Not until it's too late. Hazard and Jesse have collided, and Hazard's life will never be the same. So that was that book. Neil, what was that book actually? Girl. Girl. This book. Girl. I feel like it took me all of quarantine to read this book. This book? Okay. It is... According to the Amazons, it is 292 pages. It's, yeah. yeah. It felt like 27,000 pages. Like Moby Dick. It was the Moby Dick of it bisexual romance books. Endless. Forever. Oh my it god. Was, uh. It was forever. <laughs> okay. 
This okay. is the single hardest book for me to get through of all of the books we've read. Yeah, there there was a point, honestly, that I was like, I'm not going to finish this book, and I'm just going to let Claire carry me through. I was thinking the same thing, and outs and and this is the first time you and I have ever really had a conversation about a book outside of the podcast. And the extent of the conversation was, I feel like giving up. And the and you were like, I also feel like giving up. And we're like, well, who, who's allowed to give up in this situation? And the answer was neither. Neither. We must I'm, power through. We both knew that we were talking about the same book, too. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. So also, so for for my notes for these books, I write down the main characters. So for uh-huh. this book, I have Hazard, Jesse. Emery, Russell, and then like 6,000 more people. (laughs) Yes, yes. This was the single most populated book we've ever read. I will have to say, I retitled this book in my head. And would you like to hear the new title? Obviously. Poor Emery. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, let's get into it. I want Emery's book because Emery's book is good. Emery's book is not good. Book was shit. Emery's not, book, no, Emery's book not, is not good because he's probably in love with his best friend who ignores him for some other guy and uses him as an alibi for going out to parties. And then when you think they're going to get together, he ends up with the asshole. And they never bring it. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I was, but what even. <sighs> okay. But here's the thing though, because Emery so, knows much fewer people. I could have kept track of when we was talking to. Yeah. And that alone would have made the book better. Felix, I just want to say this really quick. Felix dies in this book. Oh, yeah. I was like, who the fuck is Felix? That's right, he dies. That is what I thought when it was said that Felix died. And then we decided to spend chapters upon chapters thinking about his death. And I'm like, who? It's... it's (laughs) Is Felix the guy that Jesse dated in college? No. <laughs> then who the fuck is Felix? He's kind of the guy Jesse kind of dated in college a little bit. But can it be said that Jesse has dated anybody? Okay. Okay. Let's let's get into it. let's get into it. Okay. Get into this. So, one thing that I did appreciate about this book is that these people were in high school the same time that I was. So all of the culture, cultural touch points, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling the you. The GameCubes, the GameCubes. The GameCubes, the bands that they mentioned, a lot of them. Just okay. getting Facebook, or MySpace, just getting just MySpace. Just getting MySpace. Okay, so it's the Pacific Northwest. We are in a suburb of Seattle in the early aughts, early to mid-aughts. Yeah, because I, th- I think... If I looked at the timeline correctly, um, Hazard was like a freshman when I would have been a junior or something like that. Okay, so. Oh, you're the bad boy junior. I'm a bad boy. (laughs) We've already established this. I'm such a bad boy. Okay. (laughs) So um, there's a boy named Hazard. Somebody decided to name their child Hazard. And... The book begins with us being told a series of facts about Hazard. 
Just like, these are the things that he likes. These are the things that he doesn't like. This is his family situation. And I was like, okay, I know that generally a lot of people who teach writing are like, that's the worst thing you could do. But I feel like there are certain situations where it works like an Amelie. Amelie begins, like, here are these very specific things about her parents, and then here are very specific things about Amelie, and those things are important for the rest of the movie. But also, it's it's part of the the theme, the, the way the movie is built. Like, we're going to keep talking about this. Yes. Here's how we're, it's, it's part of the adorable quality of the world. Um, but I will say, in this book, it was an endless litany. Was insane. So at the beginning, what it was like, here are a bunch of facts about Hazard. I was like, okay, I'm going to give the author the benefit of the doubt that this is going to work out in our favor. It does not, listeners. It does not. Okay. So there is a man in the world named Hazard, who's a high school freshman. And there's one day where he goes, he's he's at lunch with his best friend, Emery, and then Emery's other friend, Russell, that he hates. For, like, no reason other than the fact that Emery knew him longer. But they're all friends. Except for the, the, then we find out that Emery and Hazard met in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And in fact, so they've all known each other a very long time. Yeah, Hazard just... has actually known this dude, Russell, for years. Yes. But it may sound like he'd only known him a year, maybe two yeah. months. It's like Emery knew Russell an extra year or two. Yeah. Like it's nuts. And for, for because of that, because Hazard wants Emery to be his best friend, and Emery looks up to Russell, who's older than them by like a year, he thinks that Russell is terrible. Anyway. Yep. For as much but, detail as we got, we got none of that. But Hazard still eats lunch with them every day. Like uh-huh. his only friends are Emery and Russell, and then these skater kids that like halfway through the book we get this enormous chapter about like all the times that they met, and oh my god, oh. it was not necessary. No, I this is what I wrote. Chapter 10. Fuck this book forever chapter <laughs> is what I've called chapter 10. Because we get all the way to chapter 10 and and the book goes you know what? I think it's backstory time. And goes, where did this all begin? And I was like, I thought it began at the beginning of the book. No, now we must go to when the first moment he met Emery in second grade. And we must go grade by grade through all of his sexual feelings, which is interesting, but unimportant. Right. So here's the, here's the thing. Like, this book was very realistic and that it's like, oh, Hazard had these friends and then when he got older, he had these other friends and then they weren't really his friends anymore, so he had these other friends. Like, people do when they grow up. Oh, like, yeah. you're friends in elementary to middle to high school. Like, you go through friend groups. And it's very realistic. I don't want to read about it, especially because it's not... By the time we get to what's going on in the book, those skater kids didn't matter at all. Mm-mm. There was no reason for them to be there, so I didn't need this, like... And the, Neil, the question is, mm-hmm. what is this... Like, if you could, in one sentence, tell me, what is the story this book is telling us? Hmm. The story of this book is 
a young man has a sexual awakening with another young man and thinks that because it's the first time he's ever been in love that they're destined to be together even though they're terrible to each other. Oh, but they are destined to be together because they end up together at the end of the book. But they're terrible to each other. They are. They are terrible to each other. They're Um, awful to each other. But also, like, does he have that sexual awakening with him? It kind of feels like he actually has that sexual awakening when he runs away in the latter parts of the book where he has kind of a crush on this other guy and is like, oh, I can be my own human being. Okay. 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 Let's take, let's take a, a step back a bit to talk about this book on a meta level. One, it was so interminable because for this almost 300-page book, there were like five actual conversations and the rest of it was a list of things that happened. Yes, it was lists, lists and lists and lists. The whole book was lists. Just such granular detail that every party that Hazard was at, we know what happened in any given moment, even when it didn't matter to the plot. Oh my God. It was for, like, every time they went to another party, I was like, fuck, why? Please let something important happen at this party. At the first party, I thought, okay, we're setting a tone. This is the type of parties they go to as high schoolers. And then I was like, I don't actually need to. And then I was like, how is he getting homework done? Um, Ah. And like the amount of times that Hazard was drunk in this book was, and not just like, not just buzz, not just having Mm -hmm. enjoyed Mm-hmm. enjoyed a beer or one of those shitty high school cocktails mm-hmm. like fucking wasted was wasted. worrisome fucking wasted also the amount of times that hazard was wasted and took for granted that emery would be his alibi for being out and then went over to emery's house drunk to sleep it off and then was angry at emery if emery was angry at him unacceptable unacceptable Unac- the way he treated emery was his horrific. best friend, his only friend. Yes. Also, also stepping back and looking at this book broadly. So there's a moment where um, Hazard and this kid, Jesse, start hooking up. And for them, there's this very clear line of like, sex is sex, romance is romance, and they're two very different things. And if I hook up with a guy that means I'm bi, but if I'm romantically interested in the guy, that means I'm gay. And I understand in the early aughts, there was that weird, like, like with metrosexual and like people starting to understand that bisexuality is a thing. And there's, I understand like, suburban high school like having those weird lines but the thing is that the narrative doesn't let us in on the fact that that's not true so there's no moment where i'm as a reader is like okay the characters believe this but the author believes differently and i'm not saying that every author like jonathan swift doesn't have to have a moment where he tells us to not actually eat poor people's babies like i understand that but, like, now, now, in this day and age, when we're writing about 
people coming into their sexuality and in a time when anything you say will end up on social media, cut to what's her face from the outlander who had that really, all those awful comments end up on social media from a book that she wrote however many years ago. I want to see if, if the characters are misguided about sexuality, I want to see even a nod from the author that the author knows that that's not true. Like, well, I kept expecting to get that moment in like, in like, uh, uh, like the characters learning it. Yes. Like, that's what I was expecting. Like, I expected like, he's like, well, but I'm not gay. I know mm-hmm. Emery's probably gay because I've known him for so long, but he doesn't want to talk about it, but I'm not gay. But maybe mm-hmm. I'm bi, but I'm not bi. I'm bi for fun, but I'm really straight. Like, right. I kept expecting him, like, especially after he ran away, especially when he got this new friend group who seemed great, like, that he'd be like, oh, okay. Like, maybe I was letting myself think that way because I didn't feel safe and secure. Because obviously a lot of people at my high school were, like, awful and horrific, so I felt I had to project something. And inside I hated who that was. Or... Or like, um, oh, I realize like I can love myself, even though like my mother says awful things, even though my father's obviously not around, even though this guy I was dating was obviously abusive, I can be bisexual. And I can also prefer to date men, even though I'm bisexual. Like this is an okay thing. Yes, or even when the guy that he's dating, or not even dating, they have a friends friends with benefits situation, cuts it off because he's going to romantically date another guy. Like, just to have a moment. Or even for me, all I needed personally was for Hazard to have a moment where he's like, well, if I fuck guys, that makes me bi. But if I'm in love with a guy, that makes me gay. That's what everybody says, right? Even just just that moment for the writer to say, I understand that my characters are misguided and that's part of what's happening in this book. That's part of the point of this book is that Hazard is misguided in his sexuality and that's the journey that we're going to go on. But that didn't happen. And especially, like, it's gotten to the point now that if a book is about two men and the author's names are just initials, I'm going to assume it's a straight lady pretending to be a guy. I I mean, and I have to say, like, that just goes back to my my question, like, what is this book about? Because it's not like they learn. It's not like they really grow away from each other. It's not like they change. Like, the one thing, like, so this horrific high school relationship, which in, in a lot of ways I felt was really realistic. And I think we need mm-hmm. to go back to that word, that a lot of this felt really real. A lot yes. of it felt like somebody who wrote out their exact high school experience. Mm-hmm moment to moment this is what happened this was me exactly and i'm like great that like i one i don't need absolutely every moment because even in our lives like we have our we we can we can give a story without telling the entire context of our entire lives so i you know it felt like reading somebody's real for real experience which yes okay great that you remembered every second it felt like reading somebody's diary it also felt like kind of a wish of what they hoped had happened yes. after I like right at the moment when he and Emery have sex with each other right then it felt like 
it felt like he did something horrific to Emery. He used that kid. Yes. Like he, he did was the whole more, book. Like he did the whole book, but he was more experienced sexually mm-hmm. at this point. He was more experienced emotionally at this point. Mm-hmm. He needed to get out feelings. And so he did that on the body of his best friend. And then he abandoned that kid. And like they and didn't talk about it again. It kind of felt like right at that moment in the book, the author was like, so that was a bad thing. And I don't know how to go back, you know, go come back from that. So I'm going to have him run away. I'm going to have him kind of start a new life, graduate from a different high school. And I come back, have everybody go like, you shouldn't have done that. And then everything's fine. Instead of anybody learning anything, instead of him having to actually apologize. And then they all ended up together. Like Emery and Russell were together at the end of the book. And but like, not really, but sort but of. Not really. And Jesse and Hazard were together, but not really, but sort of. And I was like, what happens? Like, what is this book for? Okay. Like, okay. Who, okay. Who, what is let's, this story? Let's, let's, okay. So Jesse and Hazard meet in the cafeteria. They first meet by Jesse making fun of Hazard for eating cafeteria food. He's like, oh my God, you actually ate that? And then they have this little tete-a-tete. And then to give our, re- our listeners a glimpse into what we're dealing with, um, at one point, Jesse says, oh, like nobody said that before. Honestly, I like to think I'm just conversationally blessed. Hazard says, more like conversationally cursed. Jesse says, one person's trash is another person's treasure. Hazard says, that doesn't even apply here. So that's the level of banter that we're dealing with. They enter into an abusive relationship in which uh, Hazard, because of society, doesn't allow himself to explore his feelings and admit to himself that he's in love with this boy. Jesse takes advantage of him and abuses him emotionally and verbally. And then uh, Hazard takes advantage of his best friend, Emery, but Emery is very supportive because he knows that it's all going to go to shit and he's going to have to be there and he cares about Hazard, so he is. Hazard runs away and everyone's okay with it. Everyone's fine with it. Like he just shows up at his aunt and uncle's house in Seattle and everyone's like, okay, this is what we're doing now. It felt so bizarre. So he had two more years of high school where he met friends that didn't know him and like got to know him as him. But then apparently he just never talked about himself. I don't know. So then when he graduated high school and had no idea what college he was going to, even though he'd already graduated high school. He decides to go back home because he misses Emery all of a sudden. And I was like, oh, great. This is going to be him realizing that Emery was there for him the whole time. It's going to be beautiful. He goes back to Emery. Emery's like, oh, hey, how's it going? I live with Russell now. And then Hazard's like, oh, well, obviously he doesn't love me because he's still friends with Russell. And then he tracks down Jesse, who is in mourning because the guy that he left Hazard for died and someone else has to take care of him. And Hazard realizes that his lot in life is that they were destined to be together and now he has to take care of Jesse, like make sure that he eats every day because this other guy that he was in love with died. The end, happy ending. What the fuck is going on? I I don't understand. No, but also I don't know, but I do want to read this passage. Because this sort of, I think, shows 
how hard it was to read this book. Because if it was just written the way you said, at least you could follow it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. So I'm going to read this. Please do. Emery crossed his arms and leaned against the counter, frowning. For a moment, he looked like he wanted to say a lot of things. Hazard remembered the way Emery had reacted when Hazard first started talking to Jesse. The mistrust, the protectiveness. Hazard didn't feel accomplished, though. He felt kind of guilty. He couldn't help but notice that Emery had a few sex bracelets now, too. Well, we will get to sex bracelets. We need to get to that. Uh, he wondered if Emery knew about knew what the black and red meant. Emery said simply enough, it's your life and it's your decision, and you're still my best friend no matter what. Just be careful with yourself, Hazard. Seriously. Hazard nodded and lifted the hot coffee to his lips. Little break. Page break. Hazard didn't think of Emery as being capable of social indecencies, but it was undeniable that right then and there, in the dark of the back row of the movie theater, Emery was delighting in a good old-fashioned, not naive in the least, PDA. What happened? That wasn't a chapter break. That was a paragraph break. Who knows? What? 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 What happened? What happened? I... That happened every other page where it's suddenly we're in a new time and a new physical location and we don't know how we got there or why it's important. And the important thing we just left, which is Emery saying, like, which is Hazard realizing that Emery is sexually active Mm -hmm. and that, and Hazard also with a woman. Teenage girl. Well, well, what we find, yeah, that we go from Hazard finding out that Emery is sexually active and that Emery is worried about Hazard, like seriously concerned about Hazard. We jump to a movie theater. And then we're there for six pages detailing every single moment of who what, bought what from the concession stand, what movie they went to, what movie they bought a ticket for, but what movie they snuck into and how many people. Were, oh God, it like, was interminable. It was it was so hard to read. It was so hard to read. It was so read. hard. And like, it wasn't like hard to read in the way that War and Peace was hard to read. <laughs> War and Peace was hard to read. And it also had a billion characters with a billion names who went by a billion different nicknames. But I tell you what, War and Peace was a story. <laughs> War and Peace had a point. Which did make me think that somebody, that J.R. Lank, when they wrote this, really wasn't thinking, I'm going to write a teenage romance novel. They were thinking, I'm going to write the next great American novel. That they were genuinely thinking, I am going to write Catcher in the Rye, but it's bisexual people. (laughs) That was another thing. Having so I read Resisting the Rebel first and then I read this. And it since catching the rise so important in Resisting the Rebel, I kind of had that in mind by the time I read Collide. And there's this weird thing about like, oh, so and so was just so cliche. And there's this weird thing about how Hazard feels that certain people are just being phonies. 
but then there's this weird thing about the gossip and it matters, but then it doesn't. And then it's this and then it's that. And he cares about it, but he doesn't. And like, I don't understand what was happening. Yeah, I felt like this book needed an editor and yes. a lot more drafts. Um, yes. Like things that were interesting, the mm-hmm. complicated nature of teenage sexuality. Yes. And friendships. Like, that is interesting, genuinely. And the complicated nature of sexuality when you want to be approved by society, but you also don't want to be approved by society. And like mm-hmm. having people who are homophobic in your school who you and you have to be there. You can't not be there. Coming up to you all the time, sometimes well-meaning and sometimes not. But, all, but saying these homophobic things that are awful when you yourself don't know who you are. Like, mm. that was really interesting. And I thought, again, because this whole book reads like it's somebody who actually lived through all of this, like, felt really real. And I, I was there for it. Mm-hmm. But again, the litany. Like, all of that yeah. is hidden under mountains and mountains of meaningless words. Yeah. So part of this, too, is that when Hazard starts hanging out with Jesse and his group of friends that he starts going to the sorts of high school parties that it's like the sort of high school parties that we see in movies, but actually, because I feel like even the movies that we, the high school parties that we see in movies are still sort of like glossed over in a certain way. And these parties felt very realistic. So in high school, um, senior year of high school, I became friends with a young woman who sat next to me in my government econ class. And we got to know each other. And in getting to know her, I was like, oh, she has this boyfriend that she's had for all of high school. He's a year older, so he had graduated at this point. I was like, oh, she's not happy in this relationship. So, and like in becoming friends with her, I wasn't telling her to break up with her boyfriend, but I was like, hope like trying to get her to get to a place where she felt comfortable like realizing that it wasn't a great relationship anymore like all of his all of her friends were his friends she didn't have any of her own friends anymore because all of her friends were friends that she'd met through him and so and he was like you know i grew up in a conservative suburb in southern california so he had like pretty limited views about things and so like and becoming friends with her and me being like, girl, do what you want. Girl, be yourself. Girl, become a woman. She realized that she needed to break up with this boyfriend because it, it wasn't a good relationship for her anymore. And then after that, she sort of like, and she was like kind of a goody-goody. And then she met people and ended up going to parties, not unlike these parties. And so because of that, I be started being invited to those parties. So I have attended parties, not quite like what you imagine. They were never so crowded. It was like a very particular group of people. It was like, yeah, high school kids drinking. I don't think there was a lot of drugs involved, but it's like, oh yeah, people making out left, right, and center, who knows, whatever, whatever. So reading this, I was like, oh, it's like, well, not exactly like my experience. I can see how the depiction of high school parties in this book is very realistic. It's not glossed over like in movies or other like resisting the rebel never would have written this party even though it's very realistic to a lot of high school experiences well they also it also felt like dirty in a way like we don't know where we are really um it's kind of gross in here but we're gonna put up with it 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved, I genuinely actually loved the scene, even though, because again, it was just like part of a thing that belonged somewhere else. When he was assaulted at the party, because he was hanging out with a guy that he was kind of into and he was kind of enjoying the moment, but he didn't want to go this to go anywhere. And the guy mm-hmm. was forcing himself on, on mm-hmm. hazard. And meanwhile, there's just this girl passed out, like right next to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, the room is dark and, and like hazard just has had his first, like, you know, like, like toke a pot. And so he's like, mm-hmm. and he's drunk on what is obviously wine coolers. And so like, <laughs> <laughs> should we not so, buy like, for some shit? Yeah, he's not having a great time and he doesn't know how to tell this guy no. Yeah. Other than saying, like, maybe not tonight and trying to be cool. And I was like, this feels, one, very realistic, but also, like, an important thing. Like, this is an important moment. And it turned out to be unimportant at all. But, right. like, it, it, it was really indicative of what felt real. And that was, again, like, what was <laughs> could have been really amazing about this book. Right. And this feeling, too, that, like, oh, when you're at a party, you, when you are a high schooler at a party where people are drinking and enjoying music and doing drugs and having sex, like, it is removed from everything else. So this idea of, like, oh, I can just, like, make out with whoever I want at a party, and everyone's going to be like, yeah, that's what you do at a party. But then part of it still trickles into when you show up at school the next Monday. Also, they were having parties on like a Wednesday, Thursday night. Oh yeah, but I mean, also that, that didn't feel unreal. That right, like, sure. the I don't way... know. Maybe <laughs> in high school, I was like, I got homework. I can go out on Friday and Saturday. Thank you. If I don't have oh, rehearsal, thank you. Well, you were the good bad boy. I but like, <laughs> I was the bad boy in all the AP classes, honey. <laughs> so again like a lot of that felt real but neil let's talk about sex bracelets we have to talk about sex bracelets this is so important when it showed up in the book i screamed and i threw the book across the across the room i was like fuck this book and that was like really i was like sex bracelets and i walked out of the room and he to this day doesn't know what i was talking about because i didn't want to tell him but i was so angry <sighs> <laughs> So here's the th- okay. So here's the thing. So I didn't know about them until much later, and when they came up in the book, I was like, "Was that actually a thing?" And the internet tells me it wasn't actually a thing. Uh-oh. But then, like with how realistic a lot of this book seems, maybe so, it was a thing. So I'm going to recommend a podcast, and that podcast is called "You're Wrong About." <gasps> yes, um, I've listened it's a to very a couple good episodes podcast. under your yeah, recommendation. It's a very good podcast. Highly recommend. Um, they have one about sex bracelets? They have one about sexting. So specifically teenagers and sexting. And they have a guest on, which they don't normally do for this one, but who's like, who knows more, who has done a lot more research on it. And it's very interesting. But sex bracelets come up in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they come up in another one. The thing is, though, so what they said, and I really like the way they put this. One teenagers love symbolic things they mm-hmm. love it they love things they love things that mean things and they love having a secret language that they think only they know about that they read off the internet that obviously other people know about so were sex bracelets a thing yes and no uh 100% there were teenagers who would give each other things when they had done certain sex acts 
Um, and did they read it off the internet due to adults who put it on the internet based on maybe a couple of kids and then just took that on to themselves? Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Invent it. And, they, and also, it's not something you can keep up. And it wasn't like an international language between kids. Importantly, what it also was, so these jelly bracelets and other bracelets that were coming into fashion came in rainbow colors. And who was attracted to rainbow colors? <laughs> the gays. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Who started saying terrible things about the gays? Everybody else. And saying that all of these different colors meant different things. The thing is, for some people, it really did. They were starting to come up with the different flag colors. And there's a lot of Tumblr kids who are wearing those bracelets because they mean the different flag colors. But then parents and adults and other kids were assholes saying like, well, it's this, this one's for giving head, this one's for doing blah, this one's for doing blah. It's just another way to oppress gay kids. But also, is it possible that a bunch of kids were getting together and having group sex? Yeah, sure, because that's also happened all throughout time, where they just get together and are like, so what if I give everybody in this room head to see what happens? And everybody in the room is like, yeah, I don't know. Let's see what that happens. What happens when we do that? And everybody's like, well, that's a thing we did. Should we get bracelets for it? Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> like I don't like, yes. Do kids get together and get each other off and feel inordinately proud about it as if they invented sex? Yes. yes. <laughs> and are they so proud about it that they give each other things and then they attach meaning to those things? Yes. These are also people who invented promposals. 100%. They're sex bracelets. Are they what they were in the book? Maybe a little bit for this writer. Were they like that for every student out there? No, absolutely not. Was it a national problem? No, 100% not. Yeah, what I read in my very preliminary research was like, yeah, so any kids that adopted this as like, quote, sex bracelets are because they had read it on the internet and said, oh, that sounds like fun. Because right. adults had talked about how it was a problem. <laughs> It was also not something you could keep up. Like, one, kids aren't having that much sex. <laughs> <laughs> like, some of them are, for sure, but it's not like all of them. And a bunch of them were just like, these bracelets are cool. They show up and they're like, that's a sex bracelet. The same thing with, like, getting your ear pierced on which one's the gay ear. <laughs> <laughs> I've never gotten a consensus on that. Because uh, it's not a thing. Because it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. Just like sex bracelets aren't real. Uh, is it possible that this man is standing in front of you is gay if he has a, a thing, you know, a pierced ear? Yeah, because it's possible anybody you're looking at is gay. I don't know. <laughs> but look in his back pocket for the hanky coat because that was real. Right. Which cracks me up every single time I look at like the cover of the boss's uh, <laughs> album, and he's got like the he's got uh, his like red thing. I was like, it's it's a red one, right? Yeah. Is it in his left pocket or his right pocket? Oh, that I don't know. Okay, because that matters. Right, but see, but that all goes back to like gay kids who needed to recognize each other in public, mm -hmm. and yes. Could they have had their own secret code around bracelets? 
Probably. That they didn't want they didn't want the straight kids to know. Yes. Would they have definitely used bracelets? Probably not if you were a guy. Uh-huh. And worried about so, being called gay in school. Yeah. Right. Like a kid like a kid like Hazard who is so freaked out about being called gay in school, would he have worn all of those bracelets? No. If they weren't like black and cool looking? Absolutely not. No. Like so those are my feelings about sex bracelets. Yeah. And I was so angry when I read that in the book. I was like, okay, this is the first time I've read this where it doesn't feel like a straight out of diary experience. Right. So the book goes on forever. It's a horrible relationship, but they all end up together at the end. How romantic the end. Can we move on now? Let's play Fuck, Mary Kill. Yes! <laughs> are you ready? Am I ready? Are you ready? Am I ready? Let's play Fuck Mary, 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 the bitchy girl that like had the moment of redemption but was still awful or jesse from collide the abusive junior who was awful okay um i am going to kill gus mm-hmm. because he plans rapes yes <laughs> yeah and i think no boy no <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 boy, no. no. <laughs> so I'm going to kill Gus and I don't feel bad about that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to, so I'm going to, I'm going to fuck Jesse. If mm-hmm. only because I, you know, like if he's my age now, I feel like he's figured out some shit. He's probably gone to therapy. He listened to, he went through his Elliot Smith phase and now he's moving on and he's like, He's, you know, he's figured out some stuff and he's got a couple of gig worker jobs and he's pulling his shit together, but he's got a fun, he's a fun night at a bar. Okay. And also I don't have to stick around for his drama because I'm not going to stick around for his drama. I'm going to marry Kay and I'm going to say that while she was a bitch, she was also still a high schooler figuring it out. And she probably also like felt that from the get go that here is this girl who has known her boyfriend for forever and obviously has a crush on him and obviously hates Kay and Kay doesn't know what to do with this and just lashes out in the worst way possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say I hope she grows up, she becomes an okay. A-type personality who gets a good job and will have a good time. Maybe, I just don't feel like I should, I just, I can't marry Jesse. Fair. And I have to kill Gus, so we're gonna have to marry Kay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mary Kay. Um, <laughs> I am also going to uh, kill Gus because he's the worst. Because Jesse was awful, but he didn't try to. Uh, he didn't. Uh, he didn't get ahead of his own bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like Gus did. So Gus is G- Gus's manipulative in a way like he's he he plans to be manipulative he's intentionally manipulative whereas jesse's just like manipulative by accident or 
by impulse. So I'm going to kill Gus. I'm going to fuck Jesse. Because he, I mean, especially when he, like, had the, he dyed his hair, like, fire engine red and was, like, wearing the leather jackets. Like, oh, yeah, if that guy came up to me in high school and, had, and said, let's fuck, yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm not going to stick around for his bullshit and not after high school either. No. And I'm going to marry Kay also because I feel that, um, I get the sense, because obviously she had the moment where she approached Mandy and was like, hey, this is something you need to know as a woman, you know. I like to think that Kay finishes college and by then she's like, oh my God, I was such a fucking bitch in high school for absolutely no reason. Oh God, I feel terrible. But she's still going to get shit done because she was like the head cheerleader or something, wasn't she? Or like the student body president. Council, student council. Yeah, whatever. So she like, she has ambitions. She gets shit done. And I like to think that she's going to realize that she was dealing with shit and taking it out on other people. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Okay, Neil. Fuck, Mary kill. Uh Promposals. Uh Uh-huh. Wine coolers. Uh Uh-huh. Sex bracelets. Okay. 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 I'm going to kill promposals. <laughs> uh, promposals definitely feel like a rich kid thing. They, they are a rich kid thing. Also, they're meaningless. They're absolutely nothing. It's it, like, it's perpetuating this idea that your relationships in high school matter beyond the fact that you're learning what it's like to be in a relationship. It sounds like the single most embarrassing thing to have on YouTube for the rest of your life. Yes. Um, also, it feels like exceeding- Here's me proposing to go to prom with the person who would turn out to be my future abuser. Ha-ha! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, um, it seems exceedingly heteronormative to me because of like what a spectacle it is like even if promposals existed okay so my senior year senior year i went to prom with a guy but we had to i had to find a girl to buy a ticket with and he had to find a girl to buy a ticket with because we could not have bought a ticket together and so even if promposals existed I couldn't have done one in front of people. Like I couldn't have been the big showy ordeal that it's expected to be because we would have felt unsafe or there's a very good chance that the the school's administration would have like called us out on it and been like, I'm sorry, no. So promposals feel exceedingly heteronormative and classist. So fuck them. But with knives, kill them. That's the end. I always have to, anyway. Um, what was the third one? Uh, it's wine coolers and sex bracelets. Sex bracelets. So I'm going to fuck sex bracelets. Because assuming that they're actually a thing, I can walk into a safe space wearing exactly like, hey, everyone, this is what I'm looking for. It's like the hanky code, right? I, I'd use it like the hanky code. I would go into a safe space where other people know the code and be like, hey, this is... This is what I'm into. This is what I'm looking for. Let's go from there. And so everyone is informed and everyone can give consent. So I'd fuck them. And then I guess I'm marrying wine coolers. 
because I mean I'm rosé drunk right now. That's like I'm I'm one not great decision away from a wine cooler. So you know that's my life. Standing Excellent. in my truth here. Excellent. What about you? <laughs> um. Yeah, I think about the same. I think about the same. I am interested in ten years finding out what the kids who are LGBTQI are experiencing with promposals from these couple of years, mm. not obviously quarantine year, but like, um, <laughs> because I think a lot of that ostentatiousness now is about I'm out and proud and I want everybody to see that. It's still like, it's still possibly like going into a heteronormative space, as you say, and like being as loud as possible in that space instead of taking some of that for yourself. Right. Or doing it's, your own thing. But so I'm interested in 10 years knowing what the current people are doing, how they feel about it. Sure, sure, sure. And then 10 years after, and then the 10 years after that, when, you know. We've abolished prom and eaten the rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is prom like when we've eaten the rich? What is prom like when we've eaten the rich? <laughs> <laughs> for me this is like one of the most socal statements i can ever say prom is going to dinner at rainforest cafe at california adventures and then going to angel stadium for the actual prom wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think our prom was at the double tree and Ooh. you know well, you know exactly what the double tree is because if you've ever seen the Albuquerque skyline, there's only two big talls, and that's the double tree. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think it's the double tree right now. I don't know. And I think they've since built a couple of buildings that are almost as tall, but those are like the Albuquerque skyline. And that's where I wow. had my prom. Anyway. Enough anyway, and left down that. Uh, what do we do now? Who do we fuck, marry, kill now? Is it of all the uh, characters? Who... Yes. Do you want to go first, or should I? Uh, you go first. Okay, I'm gonna fuck Emery, mm-hmm. and it'll it'll be gentle and beautiful. I feel like Emery's one of the like a perfect person to lose your virginity to, and I'm I'm on board with that. I feel like he seems like a good person to lose your virginity together too yes like yes 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 supportive kind mm-hmm. checking in mm-hmm. like will be honest with you about the experience afterwards mm-hmm. and won't not call you right i'm gonna marry jt um he and emory have the same kind of like energy to me and they're both like really supportive people but jt just seems like a little more fun mm-hmm. like emory was pretty mellow and JT was pretty fun and like into nerd culture. So we're getting married when he's an adult and I am less of an adult than I am now. Oh, the age differences. Claire, why did you do this? Um, no, I know. And then I'm going to kill Jesse. He's garbage. He's terrible. He's, he's, he's abusive and he's abusive and manipulative because he leaves hazard for that other guy that other guy dies and then he convinces other people to have to take care of him and then yep. hazard comes back to him and is like oh i have to like 
clean up after you all the time because you're in mourning for this other guy, but I guess we're together now. Fucking over it. That book yeah. is awful. Yeah, no, I think I am also going to kill Jesse. Um, there. I think one of one of the one of the scenes I hated the most, even though I hated so many of them with him, was when he was crying. He was upset and he was crying to Hazard. Mm-hmm. Not crying, crying, because he didn't cry until later with Felix, but he was telling Hazard how he'd fallen in love with this girl and he'd had sex with her, but his other friend had had sex with her first. And Hazard's like, oh, I guess I just have to pretend that you and I aren't together so that we can have this conversation because I'm not having sex with anyone else. (laughs) (sighs) And and Jesse at that moment was like, yeah, you have to just be cool about this, bro. And that was, so yeah, I'm going to kill Jesse. Um, I don't know. I feel like... There's the girl in me from high school who would definitely have been super into Caleb and the woman in me now who's like, mm, that is a red flag city. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I'm also going to go with Emery <laughs> and JT. Yeah. Yes. And, and the same order that you did because they are sweet and kind and they were like nice people who were nice and fun and friendly and like i think emory like he needed one he definitely he needed to get out of that town if anybody needed to run away it was emory mm-hmm. and emory needs to move to new york and meet a whole lot of new people who just infuse him with self-confidence because mm-hmm. i feel like he leans he leans on other people for like help and everything and he can do things on his own and yeah. it was that it was hard to watch this guy go through those things yeah yeah, yeah. And you know what? With um, Caleb, like, I wouldn't judge anyone for fucking him. As long as you're like, I don't have time for bullshit. He'd probably start rumors about you, too. Or be like, <laughs> oh, my God, so-and-so's so bad in bed. Whatever, but whatever. Call you crazy for no reason. For no reason. Anyway. Um, okay, of the books. And the books. I'm going to kill Collide. I'm going to kill Collide. Oh, God. And I'm going to fuck resisting the rebel. Agreed. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. There were, like, the, you, I, it seems like I enjoyed it a bit more than you. Um, and the, um, the, your arguments are obviously, like, I, now that you've said them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from. But just, like, he, they, he, he okay. He helped her realize that she's great just in a different way than everyone tells her she needs to be great. And then he helped her stand up to people and was just like, I'm not doing it for you. I'm your support. Like I'm starting the conversation, but it's up to you to take care of it. And, and he went to the friends and was like, this is what's going on. Like I, okay. Yes. I admit it. I feel feelings for this girl but also like Gus is garbage. So let's work together to figure it out. And like those bits of decency and like common human goodness are so rare in the things that we've read. Yeah. No, I would say like, if I were, if I, if I were giving a book to a teenager to read that had these tropes, I would be perfectly comfortable giving them this particular book. And I enjoyed the hell out of this book and not just cause I read yeah. it after Collide, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> Um, and, and I would say like, 
Um, I enjoy a lot of books that aren't particularly great for a lot of reasons. I, okay, there's this movie that I really love, Penelope, and it's with... Yes, yes. with Christina yes. Ricci Christina with Ricci. her little pig nose. Pig nose. It is a bad movie. There is... James McAvoy? Is, and James McAvoy. Yes. It is an inconsistent, bad movie with bad things that happen in it. It is probably Christina Ricci's worst movie, acting-wise. And I feel terrible for her watching this movie. I'm like, oh, you are having a hard time. Yeah, but she's but in I so many love wonderful the movies. shit out of that movie. She's in yeah. so many wonderful movies. But I love the shit out of that movie. Yeah. Um, so this is to say, I would fuck this book. I thought it was great. Highly enjoyable. I actually recommend it. I recommend this book. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, yeah. So, hey, is it time? It's time. Is it time? It's time for our favorite game. Christine. Christine. Yes. 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 Close. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. So I picked books. I picked Firelight, Darkest London Book One by Kristen Callahan and The Magpie Lord, A Charm of Magpies Book One by K.J. Charles. I want to say it is something along the lines of witches who live in underground Victorian London. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's magical Victorian London. (gasps) No! (laughs) Christine guessed! I got it. That is so random. Yes. That's yes. That's... I am so, so excited. Long time list. <laughs> long time listeners will know that like this is my ish. I mean, specifically uh-huh. queer magical Victorian London, and so I used that and found a straight book to go with it. So magical Victorian London Ooh. is my jam, and like just trying to get through this quarantine reading books that I want to read. So oh I God. picked Magical Victoria in London. You got so it, exciting. I know. I was like, no, no, no. This is like, because I was immediately, I was like, okay, it's Lamplighters, right? No. And I also, <laughs> <laughs> I also know what a magpie is because I had a legit crazy eighth grade teacher who used to call me a magpie. So I had to like learn what it was when I was 13 because I was like, what the fuck? Is that an insult? She did mean it insultingly, just to confirm. <laughs> oh. Yeah. What was, what was her definition of a magpie? Oh, it's, you know, it's a bird, but it like chatters constantly. So it's like, a, it's a, like a really annoying, like it's a, a species oh. of a bird. But it, they're known for just incessant yeah, yeah, yeah. chirping. So she was like, you're constantly talking in oh, class. okay. But I, I would literally not be talking in class, but because she was crazy. Magpies are also famous for using whatever's on hand to build their nests. So oh. when I've heard the term magpie, it's somebody who's really resourceful and just like takes little bits from everything. Yeah. 
or like yeah. or a magpie person i've heard oh. is also like yeah it takes a little bits from everything but like it's such a magpie it means they kind of flit about a lot like they never settle on one particular thing and it's like mm. they move around is what i've also heard oh all right that's not how she meant it yeah. <laughs> but I'll take it. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> Magpies are very complicated birds. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited that you guessed it. <laughs> Me too. I'm like looking forward to them too. I was so excited that I forgot to I forgot to give Claire a guess. I'm sorry. Oh. No, no. I mean, no. Uh I, that was great. That was <laughs> something we needed to say out loud. That was important. <laughs> like, Christine guessed. <laughs> I got it. all right exciting (laughs) thank you claire thank you neil thank you christine thank you you, christine and thank you listeners thank you listeners thank you authors thank you very much authors um i mean by the time this comes out some of you might not be in shelter in place anymore and we probably will be so we hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy. Um, and please vote this year. <laughs> please. Please. It's not too early. Just like start thinking about it because a certain, a certain someone in the Oval Office is going to try and make it so that people aren't able to vote this year. So just think about it, guys. Thanks. And your neighbors too. Maybe I a friend or two. to be over. Mm-hmm. I have wanted this year to be over since the 1st of January. Oh. <laughs> like, this is going to be a bad one, isn't it? Oh. And it is. <laughs> See, I was in the opposite. Every Like, myself and everyone I talked to was like, 2019 was rough. 2020's got to be better, right? And for a little bit, it was. <laughs> for like two days, three days. <laughs> oh, man. Well, but I think we can all say... There's more romance out there. We're going to yes. read it and we're going to spoil the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> All right. Oh. Well, until then, everybody, if you're able to, if you're even able if you to. have to do it, if, if you want to, if you consent to. Keep...